0: who raised him from the dead The following audio and is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is Galatians. to proclaim the gospel through grace the church to, you, to a world that needs Jesus, 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 Christ. Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk sins with sins Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online according at deltachurch.net. To the will of our God and Father. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. The word of the Lord. Uh, just let, before we get uh, started here, let me just encourage you with uh, what Pastor Tom said concerning the family meeting um, that is coming up. Uh, in just part of the regular rhythms that we do here on Delta Church, uh, that is uh, once a quarter we, we do this. We, we gather together, and as he said, it's more than just a, a business meeting. Um, we divide it up into four sort of key blocks of time, a time of worship and song, a time of corporate prayer for the lost, then a time of testimony so we can just give opportunities for people just to share about how they're sharing about Jesus, the wins and the losses, how God is working and moving in our lives, areas of our lives that we need prayer, and then we get down to business. And to be honest, those two middle blocks of time where we just bang on the doors of heaven in prayer for the lost... And then when we spend time uh, just hearing how God is at work in our lives, it becomes some of the most precious and sweet times in the regular rhythm in the life of Delta Church. I would highly, highly encourage you guys to carve out that time, February the 6th, to come and partake of that. This one will be especially um, important because when we do get into that block of uh, business time, what we're going to be doing is rolling out to you our mid-ground vision this year for how we're going to seek to further continue to share and saturate the gospel for those who we've been praying for. We're going to be rolling out key phrases and key ideas, tools, and trainings this year for how we can actually begin to not just continue to pray for those four that we've been praying for and continuing to invest and invite in them, but in the words of Rico Tice from that Honest Evangelism book, how do we begin to cross the pain line? and very concrete ways of having those Jesus conversations with people, and we just want to begin to just articulate how we're going to approach that this year, and so I would highly, highly, highly encourage you to make time to to, uh, come out to that, so period, we're done with the announcements, okay? So here's what we're going to do this morning. We are turning and transitioning now for the next several months um, into a new series, okay? Our opening series is done. We always concentrate on prayer, word, sanctity of life at the beginning of the year, and now we're going around the corner into the book of Galatians, and this is a book that we're going to concentrate on over the next several months. And as you can see, most likely on the screen behind me, it's a series we're going to call "No Other Gospel," "No Other Gospel." As we will come to learn this morning, some in part and in whole, as we work through this letter, the churches to whom Paul is writing have heard the good news of God's grace. They have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is a Savior who delights to save sinners by his grace. But as we will work through the letter and see what's going on in Galatia, is that these believers are beginning to desert God. They're Beginning to desert the grace of Christ by turning to that which is no gospel. Something Paul calls a different gospel, a distortion of the gospel. And Paul knows this drift is serious. If you've not read the book of Galatians in a while, or maybe you're a new believer and you just have never waded through the waters of Galatians, or maybe it's just been a while since you've been in there, as you work through the book of Galatians, it is a letter that is marked with a serious, serious tone. And the reason why it has such a serious tone to the letter is because Paul knows just how crucial it is to not only get the gospel of God's grace right but to also learn what it means to stay the course in our Christian walk with the gospel of grace as our north star that guides us in our day-in, day-out walk of being conformed into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I can easily drift to all kinds of distortions of the gospel. And Paul knows that any distortion of the gospel is not a small thing. It is a gigantic thing, something we are to strive and cling to for salvation, coming to faith in Jesus Christ, but then also for sanctification, that lifelong process of growing and maturing, being conformed into the image of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so what we're going to do is hit pause and pray what we what we need this morning Is the power of the Holy Spirit to take His word and to lay our hearts open as we begin our journey of wrestling with this letter? Um, Not a rhetorical question um, for you right now. Not a rhetorical question. Who here this morning is just feeling uh, weak, feeling needy this morning? Anybody? All right. Pastor Jonathan, I'm not in the stratosphere. I can't tell you I never feel weak and needy, and this morning, just in all honesty, feeling just very weak and needy, and feeling it more keenly um, than I do on other days, which is probably exactly where I need to be. Um, But this morning, what I'm going to ask you to do is this. Um, My job is to expose you with the water of God's Word, to get you wet with the water of God's Word, but it's the power of the Holy Spirit filling the preaching of His Word that changes the hearts of people. And the good news is that when we are weak, he is strong. His perfect power is made his power is made perfect in our weakness and his grace is proven to be all sufficient when we come to him and say, God, I just can't do this. I just can't. I really need you to do this. And so let's go to bat for one another in that time right now. I'm asking for prayer for myself, but what I'm going to do is pray for you, and then I'm asking you to even pray for those people who maybe just are sitting in the same row as you, to say, God, what we need this morning are not just the mere words and a message of a man named Pastor Jonathan. What we need is the words of God to be empowered with the Spirit of God so that this message lands on us with a demonstration of the Spirit and His power as we begin to reorient and refocus ourselves onto the good news of God's unmerited favor for sinners. So can we do that? Can we pray for one another along these lines in in this way? All right, let's go do this right now. Father, we need you this morning. I need you this morning. Father, you are the creator. I am the created. Because you are my creator, because you are our creator, you have the right to do with us as you please. And I'm asking that this morning, Lord, that You would have Your way with us by using the Word to lay our hearts open. Father, Lord, graciously, would You expose sin in our lives this morning as a result of our time in the Word? Would You magnify just truly how needy, weak, Dependent we really are. Would you revive us with your gospel this morning? And would you wow us with the good news of your grace? Lord Jesus, I'm asking that now you would delight to open our eyes to see you. Open our minds to understand the Scriptures, may we say, along with the disciples who saw the resurrected Lord Jesus, did not our hearts burn within us as a result of hearing Christ speak to us through the Scriptures this morning. Father, rip the heavens open. Be here this morning. Thank you for being here this morning, Lord Jesus. God, help us now to tune our minds and to tune our hearts to grace as we consider the Scriptures before us. It's in Your name I pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's just chew on this question here this morning in order just to reorient our minds and just to zoom in on some of what's going on in the book of Galatians. Uh, have you ever just been astonished? Astonished at someone? Someone? Astonished at something, and I, and I mean astonished, like capital A, astonished. Not, not merely amused by someone, not just simply confused by their actions, but I'm talking like astonished, dumbfounded, mouth left hanging open, blown away because someone said that word or someone just did that thing. Um, You can just go into the world of the internet, right? I've seen enough Facebook videos to know that there's like videos out there like that. Like I just saw one the other day, right? Some owner of a dog just brought like this video onto their webpage and what was going on was like this dog walks over. Um, apparently in its mind is like, today's a good day to start walking on the treadmill. Uh, the treadmill wasn't running, and so like, he just goes over there, and the dog gets on there and like, takes his paw, reaches up there, and it's like he's looking at it, and then like, he presses the button, and he just like, starts going and starts walking. And then like, he walks for a while and gets it done, and he's like, boop, like he just turns it off and walks off. I'm like, what in the world was that about? You know, I mean, like, right, so we're, we're moving into the realms of like, astonishment there. Like, right, I was like, what? How did that just happen? Um, Also, like I just know some of you, right, have been parents long enough uh, to have had your mind absolutely boggled by your child. Um, And I mean, like, who among us, who hasn't just witnessed their child say that word? Or who among us hasn't witnessed our child do that certain thing only to leave you looking like this up here? Like, right, you're just looking at your child and you're just like, what on earth are you doing right now? By the way, like that's one of one of my favorite memes out there on the web, right? Because it's just that look of like, <laughs> what in the world? Like you're just looking at your child going like right, has anyone done like right been in this place where like you're just looking at your child going, what on earth was that about? Right? You're 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 running into the realms of astonishment. If this is you this morning, if you've been in any of these places, then let me tell you this. You have a friend in the Apostle Paul, as the Apostle Paul begins. His letter to the Galatians. You see, Paul's letter to the Galatians is built on being astonished. And that's because Paul is astonished that the churches in Galatia were so rapidly turning to a gospel that was really, in its essence, no gospel at all. To say that Paul is dumbfounded, to say that he's standing there with his mouth left hanging open, to say that he's blown away by the speed of gospel abandonment that is taking place in Galatia would would be an epic understatement. He can hardly believe the reports of unbelief he is hearing concerning the Galatians you go work through the book of Acts, what you find out is that the Apostle Paul went into a region of just what we would call modern-day Turkey, into that southern area of Turkey, preaching the gospel. People heard the good news that Jesus is a Savior who saves sinners, and lost people were saved, and churches were formed. And then he moved on beyond that area, and, and Time went by, and it wasn't a lot of time, but what happened was upon his departure, some people came in and began to say, yeah, 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 the whole Jesus thing that Paul is about, but there's some stuff that you also have to believe in order to be saved. And what's going on is that as Paul departs, these believers, these churches are quickly turning to a different gospel. In a nutshell, this is just what happens. After Paul left Galatia, the men and women in the churches came under the influence of certain individuals, a group of people called the Judaizers. And it was the Judaizers who not only discredited Paul's apostleship, but also called into the question the gospel he preached, that grace and peace from God is through Jesus Christ alone. You see, the argument of the Judaizers when they came in after Paul left that area was, you know what, the Apostle Paul, like, I'm just not quite sure where his message is coming from. And you guys know this enough, if you want to discredit someone's message, you need to discredit them. Because if you can discredit them, then anything that comes out of the mouth, you begin to go like, ah, you know, I just don't know if what they're really about is true. And so the implication of why Paul takes as much time as he does in Galatians chapter 1 to establish I am an apostle who's been called by the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ is because some people are coming along and going, I think Paul just sort of like self-designated himself to be that guy who comes around teaching things. And you just don't need to trust the apostle Paul because he's not really an apostle. And if he's not an apostle, then you don't need to trust his message. So they were undercutting his apostleship, and then they were saying, because he's not really an apostle, that gospel thing that he's always on about, grace and peace found in Jesus Christ alone, that's not really the truth. It's not really the truth. You see, the argument of the Judaizers was a subtle distortion of Paul's gospel that he would preach. Yes, believe in Christ like Paul has taught, they would say. But, you must also be circumcised and obey the law of Moses. So do you see the subtlety that's going on in Galatia? These Judaizers didn't show up and say, Paul's a complete loon. Bonkers. And his theology is whack. We're bringing you something that is the polar opposite of what what he brought. Most likely, my guess, is that if these Judaizers brought that kind of message, the believers in Galatia, empowered by the Spirit, would be able to look at that and go, hmm, that is just like way out there. But notice the Judaizers had Jesus in their message, did they not? And they showed up saying, yeah, Jesus, everything thing that paul was saying but you need a little something extra you go into acts chapter 15 and what you find is paul and i believe barnabas go to into jerusalem the little bold heading above your bible and acts chapter 15 most likely says something like this the jerusalem council paul and Barnabas make their way down they're talking with the other apostles there in jerusalem and what's going on is this big conversation about how Jewish Christians were saying, Yeah, yeah, Paul's out there sharing Jesus with all these people who are not Jewish. And they're coming and they're being saved, like the Lord Jesus is redeeming them. But we're struggling over here because what we think needs to happen is before they become be legit Christians, they first need to become Jewish, and so then they become le- legit Christians. They need to be circumcised. They need to start to obey the law of Moses. They need to start obeying the festivals and eating the right foods and all these things. You go into Acts chapter 15 verse one. Luke records for us, the essence of the argument was this: If you are going to be saved, You must be circumcised according to the law of Moses. According to the law of Moses, you must be circumcised. You must obey the Mosaic law. And the argument was, if you're going to be saved, you've got to do these things. For them, it was Jesus, yes, plus these other things. That is how you're going to be made right with God. Or to put it another way, if you go in Acts 16, you take that language of the Philippian jailer who asked, what must I do to be saved? If you ask that question to the Judaizers, their answer would have been in this, believe in Christ plus do certain things on your own. Bring some good stuff to the table. Because the only way you're going to be right before God is, yes, you need that work stuff that Jesus did on the cross, but surely we got to bring some good stuff to the table. See, that's the distilled down essence of what's going on in Galatia. Some of us are sitting here going, bro, I'm so glad we're not having arguments about circumcision right now in the church, right? Like, for us, I'm just going to go out on a wild limb and go, we're, we're, not, we're not tripping over that stone, are we? But the distilled down essence of Jesus plus circumcision is this. Hey, Jesus is good, but his works aren't good enough. And you need to bring a little something to the table and couple it up with what Jesus brought to the table because the only way God is going to look on you and say, I delight in this person. I am pleased in this person. This person finds right standing in my eyes is if we can stand over here and go, look, Jesus, what I brought to the table. Here's my work. And then Jesus can stand here and say, hey, here's what I brought to the table. And then both of these things coupled together would be God the Father going, I delight in you. Now we fall into that category. And we can struggle in those areas of life. So in other words, to again try to establish this idea of what was going on in Galatia. And the reason why I am taking the time to expound on this is because like a bulldog, Paul is going to grip this thing and he won't let it go until the end of the book of Galatians and a lot of Paul's letters it's like here's some doctrine and he's like look at how it applies here and here and here and here and here this one he's just going to be like guys it's grace i need you to remember grace grace is jesus plus nothing that's your only hope of salvation it's jesus plus, that's how you're justified that's how you're made right that's how you find acceptance and he's just going to grip it grip it grip it grip it he's going to eventually get to some application over in chapters 5 and 6 but it's still all revolving on grace and so it's crucial to understand, like, what exactly was going on here. And I think another way you can tackle this is just to describe the problem in Galatia. It was a, it was a drift to something called legalism. A drift to something called legalism. If you want to give a micro definition of legalism, it's this: the belief that Jesus plus something is necessary for full acceptance with God. It's the belief that Jesus plus something is necessary for full acceptance with God. But Paul knows that to add anything to the grace of Christ is to nullify grace. Any attempt to couple the work of Christ plus any work from us is to distort the gospel of Christ a distortion that comes with dangerous consequences. And so Paul admittedly strikes a serious t- tone because he grasps what is at stake if believers begin to drift to gospel distortions. Our knowledge of Christ is at stake. The truth of the gospel itself is at stake. The eternal destiny of people's souls is at stake. False gospels distort, it. They destroy all of these. Therefore, Paul creates this letter. He writes this letter in order to reorient the Galatians and subsequently to reorient us to the centrality of God's grace. He's calling us over and over again to cling to grace. I remember in this quote, I think uh, uh, it's from Charles Spurgeon I was reading when he was talking about what is the essence of Paul's letter to the Galatians. He's like, I just want people to cling to the gospel of grace and Spurgeon says that is what we must do he says you need to cling to the gospel of grace with both hands and he's like if your hands fail he's like you need to bite the gospel of grace with your teeth and he's like if your teeth fail you need to cling to it with your eyelashes he's like you just don't give up you just keep going you cling you cling you cling you cling you cling until Christ comes or until the day you die and you meet the Lord Jesus Christ It's the centrality of God's grace. That is what is at the center of Paul's letter to the Galatians. And see, this is how Galatians is relevant for us today. Because whether it's first century Galatia struggling with issues of Jesus plus circumcision or whether it's 21st century Springfield as believers struggling with, how does God see me? How do I wrap my brain around how God is pleased? What is my only hope of salvation? Is my right standing with God based upon things I must do? How does my performance in the Christian life play out in the, light, in the eyes of the Father? See, those are questions that we have to ask Those are questions that we must answer, and Paul's argument is we must approach them and answer them through the lens of grace. You see, there's always going to be threats to the purity of the gospel. First century Galatia, 21st century Springfield. There will always be the danger to distort the gospel. Thus, there will always be the need to be reminded that the gospel of God's grace rests on Jesus Christ and Him alone. We will always need to be reminded of this. And so before Paul moves on to anything else, he says, here's the first order of business here's the first order of business. It's to take the Galatian church back to the basics of God's grace. Because remember, they're drifting. The language in verse 6 is they have deserted. The language of verse 7 is they have turned. They were on the path, but now they're doing this. They've drifted off. And Paul says, guys, we need to swerve back on to what is central to the Christian life in salvation And in growing like Jesus, sanctification. And it is grace. And so to borrow from the world of mathematics, Paul wants to remind these believers of the gospel formula that's essential for our right standing with God. And it's this. Jesus plus nothing equals my only hope of salvation. Jesus plus nothing equals my only hope of salvation. Verses 1 through 5. Just Look how Paul begins his letter starting in verse 1. Paul, an apostle, he says... And my apostleship, it's not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who, by the way, raised Jesus from the dead. And all the brothers who are with me, hello to you, the churches of Galatia. Now, notice that before he gets to the fundamental elements of the gospel, Paul first begins with his call to preach the gospel. He is an apostle, and his apostleship is not from men, nor is it through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. The word apostle means sent one. It means messenger. And in contradiction to the Judaizers who claim that Paul's apostleship was self-appointed, he's reminding the Galatians that I am not in this place because I just woke up on a Monday And just decided, yeah, I guess I can just go start doing some stuff. I'll just make myself an apostle and go start traveling around and planting churches and doing all these sorts of things. That's just not the way it worked. Paul found himself in the business of proclaiming God's message. Because as we'll see next week, the resurrected Lord Jesus showed up and inserted his life radically into Paul's life on the road to Damascus. And it's the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ who said, Paul, I know you're about this. Hello, my name's Jesus. I'm your Lord and I'm your Savior. And I'm telling you, your life is now going to be about this. And that's true for the apostle Paul. It's true for you and me. We're called to be messengers in a sense. Just like Paul's called to be a messenger. All of us, if we have been born again, have that kind of, my life was this, Lord Jesus showed up and said, you're mine and now my life's about this. And the Lord Jesus is now calling Paul, Paul, you're going to come and you're going to preach and you're going to be a messenger. Paul's saying, Galatians, remember when I showed up to you, I didn't roll into your hood with some self-appointed mantle saying, guys, I'm in charge here because I just, well, I just want to be in charge. That's not the way it works. He reminds the Galatians that he is where he's at as a messenger of God by God's good pleasure. God the Father who raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the God who called Paul to this position of apostolic authority. In other words, he is God commissioned. He has divine approval to be God's messenger who proclaims God's message. And so this divinely appointed apostle reminds the Galatian Christians of his divine message. He says, guys, this is who I am. God has called me to be his messenger, so now let's get down to the elemental basics of what my message was all about. I want you to be reminded of the elemental basics of the gospel. And so it begs the question, what what is the gospel? Preachers like me say things all the time, preach the gospel, share the gospel, live out the gospel, but the scriptures don't give us the freedom to define gospel in whatever way we want to define it. There are elemental basics of what the gospel is all about And Paul says, you guys know the elemental basics. You're drifting from the elemental basics. We need to bring you back to the elemental basics. Paul, what is the gospel? And that's what verses 3, 4, and 5 are about. Verses 3, 4, and 5 are Paul's answer to the question, what is the gospel? God's good news message is this, says Paul, that sinners can receive grace and peace from God. Because Jesus gave himself for sinners. Outside of Christ, no grace. Outside of Christ, no peace. But we can know grace, we can know peace from God, not because we've done anything, but because Jesus gave himself for sinners. So just look at what Paul writes starting in verse 3. It's right there, he says, grace to you and peace From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, this is just a side note. As you're reading your Bible, like so often we approach the beginning of letters as sort of like Paul's obligatory fist bump. You know, like when we show up at community group and you're just like, hey, Eddie, how's it going? Like, yeah, I don't really want to know how it's going with Eddie. It's just sort of like what I do to say to get past the introductory stuff so I can get down to the things I really want to talk about, right? And sometimes we approach the opening of Paul's letters that way. Yeah, yeah, grace to use and peace to use and, uh, you know, this is who I am and all these sorts of things. Like, yeah, 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 let's get past it so we can get down to the beef of the letter here, Paul. But if we approach Paul's letters in that way, we miss so much stuff. We miss so much rich food. Because right now in the opening introduction of Paul's letter, he is laying out the fundamental basics of what the gospel is grace to you he says and peace from who from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ tell me something about the Lord Jesus Christ Paul he says well let me tell you this it's the Lord Jesus who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age And it was all according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, in one glorious sentence, at least in the English translation that I have, Paul sums up the gospel of God's grace found in the Lord Jesus Christ. He tells us first that God the Father has initiated our salvation. Do you see it there? God the Father has initiated our salvation. Grace to you and peace to you because you are phenomenal and God just loves phenomenal people. That's not what He says. Grace to you and peace to you because grace to you and peace to you come from God our Father. And it's all according to the will of our God and Father. This grace and peace that come to you, it's according to His will. You see, grace is from God. God. The gospel originates with God. It's His plan for salvation according to His will so that His people would know His grace. At the very center of God's plan of redemption is God Himself doing for sinners what they could not do for themselves. We did not ask for rescue, but God in His grace planned what we didn't realize we even needed. That is why God is the one who receives the glory forever and ever, says the Apostle Paul. Salvation is sheer grace if somehow in the grand scheme of God's plan of redemption. Let's just imagine for a moment the gospel formula is not Jesus plus nothing, but Jesus plus something then it wouldn't be a salvation that could be attributed to, to the Father and say, to glory be to you alone for delighting to save sinners and showering them with unmerited grace. What we could do is go, glory to Jesus. And man, how great is it that you are smart enough to actually do this Jesus thing? We could find reason to boast in self if it was Jesus plus what I brought to the table. Work of Christ plus my work would be to glory in self-salvation. Because then I could say, man, I'm so great. I'm so glad I was smart enough, intelligent enough. I was able to reason and put together all the logical positives and attributes that come from following Jesus. But the Apostle Paul says that's not the way it works. You go into Ephesians chapter 2, the language the Apostle Paul adopts in describing us. And our sin-filled condition is that of those who are dead. Let me tell you, dead people don't realize they need to be delivered. Dead people don't see that they need to be rescued. And what you need is the God who is life and light to delight, to regenerate, make alive. Reach down, rescue dead people so that death And gave way to life. See, salvation is just sheer grace. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. I think it was back in Malachi, we put it up on the screen here. If you remember, justice is getting what we deserve. Do you remember that? I said justice, mercy, and grace. Do you guys remember those little micro definitions we gave? Justice is you getting what you deserve. I mean, man, if you, if you commit the crime, you're going to do the time, right? Justice is like, man, you broke the law. You, you got what you deserved, man. You got your ticket. You're going to jail, whatever it is. Justice is you getting what you deserve. Mercy is you not getting what you deserve. Grace is you getting what you don't deserve. And my Bible tells me that our Lord God, God the Father, is the God who is abounding in steadfast love, abounding in faithfulness, abounding in mercy, abounding in grace. Loves to shower sinners. Not giving them what they deserve and then giving them what they don't deserve in the Lord Jesus Christ Christ. Salvation is sheer grace from first to last, it's God's doing, it is His calling, it is His plan, it is His action, it is His work. So we see that God the Father has initiated our salvation, but Paul also tells us, here's the essence of my gospel, part two, here's the backside of the coin, the second and necessary piece, is that not only God initiates salvation, but God the Son has accomplished our salvation, he says. So just look, this plan that was initiated by God was fully accomplished in the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul says, because it's the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. God the Father planned our salvation before the foundation of the world, and when the fullness of time had come, God the Son accomplished our salvation through his work on the cross. This is the core truth of the gospel. Salvation is not about what man can do. Listen to me. Salvation is not about what man can do. Salvation is about what Christ has already done. And He has done everything necessary for our salvation. And I'm saying this this morning because some of you here are trusting in, yes, Jesus, but, man, I'm going to church, aren't I? I'm reading my Bible a little bit. I sort of care about religious things, don't I? I try to be a good husband. I try to be a good wife. I try to be a good parent. I'm not that bad at work. God knows there's others who are worse than me. And all of these are us clinging to Jesus plus religious strivings of moral good things that, Lord willing, on that final day when we stand before God on that day of judgment, we could go, yes, we love Jesus and his works. And then what we want to do is roll this tractor-trailer load of our good works before him and say, see, these things together, surely they mean salvation. And Paul's saying here in Galatians, No. No. If you step before God on that final day and go, yes, Jesus, plus my stuff, he's going to say, depart from me. I've never, i never known you. I'm glad you were all about Jesus. But ultimately your rest on the plus your good works was proof that your gospel is distorted. Thus making it a no gospel at all. Salvation is not about what man can do. Salvation is about what Christ has already done. And He has done everything necessary for salvation. Jesus gave Himself for our sins to deliver us. What this says is that we are incapable of delivering ourselves from our sin unless something radical happens to us in order to deliver us. And the gospel of God's grace is that God sent His Son to be that rescuer Jesus was obedient to the point of death on a cross so that sinners who need to be delivered from their sin could find that deliverance. The question is, can you say God has delivered me by Christ alone? Am I in that place where I can say my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness, period? Can you say that? Can you say that this morning? Because if you can't say that this morning, then what you find yourself is in a place where you're not quite right with God. You might be on that journey. You might still be walking that path. You might still be trying to discern these things. And that is good, and that is right, and that, would I would argue, is a fruit that God is working in your life, drawing Him to yourself. But until we can say, my hope is built on nothing less Jesus, his blood, work on the cross, his righteousness, his right standing with God attributed to my account so that when God looks at me, he goes, ah, I see my son. Until we can stand in that place, the Bible would clearly say, you are not yet saved. You are not yet saved. And so Paul is calling his Galatian believers saying, we must not abandon that message we must not begin to distort the gospel. Because the proof that God delighted in Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for sinners is found in Jesus, who resurrected, was raised from the dead by the Father. The proof of the resurrection is so beautiful. Because it's like the Father's stamp of approval saying, What he accomplished on the cross, I'm fully satisfied with. And it has accomplished everything that his sacrifice needed to accomplish. You see, grace and peace from God are not the result of anything we've done. Rather, they're entirely the result of everything Jesus has done. And the only way anyone can be accepted before God is through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. This is the good news of God's saving grace. Truly, it is Jesus plus nothing is your is my only hope of salvation. Yet what Paul had discovered is that upon his departure, the gospel formula in Galatia was being tweaked. With the Judaizers, the new formula wasn't Jesus plus nothing equals my only hope of salvation. The new formula tweaked by the Judaizers was this, Jesus plus something is my only hope of salvation. And you can imagine that upon first hearing this teaching from the Judaizers, it sounded good to the Galatians, yeah? Well, they're talking about Jesus, aren't they? I mean, Jesus was part of their gospel formula. right? Judaizers pull out their dry race marker, roll out their, the whiteboard. Let us show you our gospel. Jesus, big letters, all caps, right? You know they underlined it a couple times. Plus, something. That's your only hope of salvation. And so there you are in the Galatian crowd, you know, it's an equipping forum night in the churches of Galatia, and you're sitting there going, yeah, okay, Jesus is on the board, isn't it? Surely they're, they're legit. Surely they're, they're, they're good. But what they had failed to see is that as soon as you add anything to the grace of Christ you lose grace altogether in other words the sobering reality that had slipped past the galatians is that jesus plus something actually equals nothing jesus plus something it actually equals nothing so far from holding fast to the true gospel of grace the galatian christians were actually deserting god by running after a gospel distortion you see this as paul rounds the corner into verse six and you know paul is serious doing business right like basically every letter from the Apostle Paul is addressing like some issue going on. There's a few that are just like exuberant joy, just very exhortational. I mean, even the letter to the Corinthians, right? Have you guys read 1 Corinthians in a while? Like there was just some stuff going on in, in Corinth, right? Divisions, fighting in between. People were coming to the Lord's Lord's Supper, getting drunk off the wine. People were suing one another in the public court systems. One of the problems is that a a young man was having sex with his stepmom. But, like, Paul still found enough time to go, Grace to you and peace to you. Man, I love you guys. I'm praying for you. Man, I delight for this stuff to be growing in the church. Hey, let's get down to business and start talking. And you're like, Man, look at that. It's like, that's the way Paul's going to roll towards a church like Corinth, man. What's he going to do in Galatia? He's like, Grace to you, peace to you from God the Father. I'm astonished that you're deserting things so quickly. I mean, he just boomed, hops right into the problem. Why? Because the elements of the gospel are not to be distorted the elements of the gospel are for our life and they're for our godliness and the moment you start to tweak with them paul understands the gravity of the situation is that there are detrimental effects that ultimately lead to eternal condemnation for a people if we just begin to slightly tweak things of the gospel And so he's like, guys, I'm astonished, verse 6, that you are so quickly deserting him, God, who called you in the grace of Christ and you're turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are there troubling you because they want to distort the gospel of Christ. You see, the gospel distortion in Galatia was a gospel in which grace was missing. Grace was missing. So in a weird way, the Judaizers' addition to the gospel of Christ was actually subtraction. You see what's going on? Jesus plus something actually equals nothing. They're adding to Jesus, which means they're pulling grace away. And that's because if you add anything to Christ as a requirement for acceptance with God, if you start to say things like, in order to be saved, yes, I need the grace of Christ plus something else, you actually make the gospel null and void. Any change to the gospel means it becomes no gospel at all, and unfortunately it was this no gospel which the Galatians had begun to believe, inciting the astonishment of the apostle Paul. And turning to this gospel distortion, they were guilty of, verse 6, deserting God, he says, who called them in the grace of Christ. Again, grace and peace from God are found in the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins. So to desert God's grace, to turn to a different gospel is to abandon the path to peace with God. To accept a different gospel that seeks to add to the work of Christ is to forfeit God's grace for actually God's curse. That's what he's saying there in verses 8 and 9. If we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, now so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. The Greek word behind accursed there is anathema. And to be anathema is to be damned, cut off from God. So Paul's like, guys, we can run hard after grace and peace from God through Jesus Christ alone, who gave himself for our sins. That's how grace and peace will come. Or we can seek to begin to tweak and add little things to the gospel, and that's enough to nudge us off the path not the path of grace and peace, but to nudge us off that path onto the path of God's curse. All because we decided to just tweak and play and add, mess around with the basic elements of the gospel. So just listen to this. Listen to this. Because when Paul gets down to this point here, I mean, he's done. He's done driving home the serious nature of messing around with the gospel. So the question becomes, how do you and I tweak the gospel? Remember, Galatia, gospel tweaking was adding in circumcision. Ain't none of us messing around with that, right? We're, We're not getting tripped over that. But there are ways in which we fall into the traps of tweaking the gospel. For those of us here who are not believers, we can fall into that trap. Of thinking we need to add works to the gospel in order to earn God's favor and salvation. And there are those of us here who are born again, saved by grace, but even still, there's just that legalistic, stubborn stronghold in our heart where we're like, but surely I've got to even do certain things to maintain God's favor towards me as a believer, right? Listen, either we will assume God's pleasure in us is based on our performance, which is the Jesus plus something formula of the the Judaizers, or we will come to rest in the glorious good news of Jesus plus nothing taught by the Apostle Paul, which says this, God's pleasure in us is not based on our performance, but on the performance of, of Christ who gave Himself for our sins. Your right standing with God is not based upon your performance. Your favor with God is not based upon your performance. God's pleasure in you is not based upon your performance. It is based solely on Upon the performance of the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for your sins to deliver you from the present evil age. And so what God the Father does, listen, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, this is the good news of that reality for you. You don't have to strive to be good enough to enter in to the favor of God. The gospel says you can't do it. Some of you right now are striving so stinking hard to live life well, trusting that if I just do enough good things, I will earn the favor of God. And the gospel says, stop it. Because God doesn't look upon you and say, try just a little bit harder, because if you just go just a little bit more and just do a little bit more performing things, then you'll finally arrive at that place where I go, ah, now you're right with me. Our stubborn hearts want to believe that with all of our heart because our stubborn hearts want to be glory robbers. Because if we could say that is the way that I am right with God, then the end of verse 5 won't be true. To God the Father be the glory forever and ever. There's something in my heart as an unbeliever that says, I just don't know if I'm good with that. I want some glory to be for me forever and ever. And so what I'm going to do is strive to do certain things that will make myself look good so that in the end I can say, yes, Jesus, but look what I did. Look at the performance that I did. I earned my way into earning God's favor. The gospel says stop. The Lord Jesus Christ has performed the only work necessary for you to be accepted, to be made right, to know God's pleasure in you. And it's a work that comes in the shape of a cross. Now, for some of us here this morning, we can say, I have been saved. I've been saved. I've been saved by grace. But then what happens is, as we step forward from that point where the Lord Jesus, like he did to the Apostle Paul, interjected himself into our life opened our eyes we sang it son of David I'm blind I want to see when we can say the son of David the Lord Jesus has opened my eyes I once was blind but now I see and as I begin to walk forward what we can begin to do is drift from grace in certain areas because what we'll begin to do is go yes nothing of my performance earned God's grace. He delighted to give it freely, but then what we begin to do is go, but surely from that point on, I have to do certain things to maintain God's good favor in my life, right? I mean, when I'm reading my Bible, and I'm going to church, and I'm going to worship, and I'm performing all these works, I feel God's favor, but when I don't read my Bible, go to church, pray as I ought to, I feel like it's going down, but the Good news of grace comes along and says, Listen, in your salvation and then moving forward in your sanctification, God's pleasure in you is not based upon what you do or don't do. It's based upon everything Christ has done. Now, the Bible is chock full of the realities of how grace will drive us forward in good works. So grace doesn't negate obedience. Grace doesn't give us an out to be like, well, I can do whatever I want because it's not all my performance. It's not the way it works. The Apostle Paul drives hard at that. Titus 2, Romans, good grief. The book of Romans, all right, all over the place. You see it saved by grace. Yes, hey, I've created you for good works. Go, Go be about those good works, motivated by grace. But the subtle drift, I dare say, for the majority of us is this, not good works driven by grace, it's good works so I can maintain God's grace. It's that subtle little shift, and the Apostle Paul here is saying, guys, that's drifting to a no gospel. And so what's the course correction back? I think it's found right there at the very end of verse 5, do you see it? not rhetorical question. What's the little four-letter word into verse 5? Amen. Amen. The basic essence of the word amen is this, saints. Yes, Lord. I agree. I agree. I'm on board with what you're saying. So how do we guard our hearts against those gospel-distorting drifts that can happen in our life? It's to constantly be in the word going back to this this place at verses 3 and 4 and going, oh man, good news of grace. Peace from the Father in Jesus. Grace from the Father in Jesus. Jesus gave himself. Jesus gave himself for my sin. Jesus gave himself for my sin to deliver me from this present evil age. Good news. Lord Jesus, amen. I agree. <laughs> And This isn't just lip service. Like This is an amen coming out of the heart. I agree with this. This is the good news. Now, Lord Jesus, anchor me to this good news as I begin to go forward so I don't distort, so I don't drift. Guard me. Hands, teeth, eyelashes, and all. Guard me so I don't drift from this. Now, saints, Paul's going to tease this bad boy out for the next six chapters, okay? but those are some foundational elements that we need to have in order for us to be able to grow in the grace of Christ, all right? Let's pray. Father, grow us, anchor us deeply into these realities of grace. Help us, mature us. I go back to the prayer that I prayed at the very beginning. Revive us with your gospel and wow us with your grace. Father, some of our hearts here this morning just need to be revived. We're weary, we're needy, we're weak, we're dependent. And if we're weary, needy, weak, dependent, God's message isn't, hey, get your act together and try a little harder. It's rest in my grace. Rest in my unmerited favor. Rest in the realities that you're right standing with me isn't somehow less because you're weak, needy, and dependent right now God, some of us need to be wowed by the good news of your grace because, quite frankly, the things of Christ have grown stale in our lives. We're barely stifling a yawn in regards to the glorious good news of the gospel of grace And again, your message isn't, hey, get your act together and whip up some excitement and become emotional so that you can somehow prove that God's grace is wowing you. But God, we're going back to you and just saying, God, do for my stale, tired, weak, needy heart things that I can't do for myself. I need you to wow me with the good news of your saving grace. God, help us in these things, so that as we begin to go forward tomorrow, we could walk out these doors going, praise be to God. God's pleasure in me is not based on my performance, but God's pleasure in me is based upon the performance of Jesus Christ alone. God, help us in these things. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. What a great, timely message.